0: Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Thursday, March 24th. There's spring training games happening. There's interesting numbers coming out of them. There have been trades and signings that have happened since we last spoke. We're going to get into those. There are new rule changes. We're going to get into that. But whenever a trade happens within like... 25 minutes of us doing this podcast, even if it's not like an earth shattering trade, I feel like we need to talk about it. Matt, where are you on the big Ryan Tapia for Randall Grichik move that just went down? Um,
1: My initial thought was, I'm not sure Grichik's any good, but he can still yeah. hit the <laughs> ball really hard and will probably hit some very aesthetically pleasing home runs while playing in Coors Field. That was my original thought. And then my second thought was to the, I mean, The Blue Jays sure seem confident that George Springer is going to be able to play 150 games this year. Well,
0: yeah. Okay. So listen, the Blue Jays needed a left-handed bat, right? Everybody knew that they were going to try to get a left-handed bat. I still think it should be Joey Votto, but hey, that's just me. They haven't done it yet. And Tapia is a left-handed bat, you know, and he's been around Colorado for like six years. And yes, he's got the wild home road splits. And I just, I don't have it in me to explain anymore why that doesn't matter so much, Um but you know, he's like a decent multi-positional guy. He's not powerful. He's not great at getting on base. He can run. He's not a great defender. Although last year it cut his stolen uh, strikeouts down a lot and he stole 20 bases and that's, that's great and perfectly usable. But it's fascinating to me that the Rockies, uh, sent a prospect, like a, a kind of a decent prospect, like Adrian Pinto. Um, there's a lot of people who like him, you know, he's low level, so fine. But, um, they sent a prospect and they're taking on kind of a decent amount of money to do this. Grichik is going to make a little over 10 million over the next 2 years and uh Tapia is making like just under 4 this year and has one more year of arbitration left. So they're they're sending they're taking on money in order to get like a decently powerful veteran bat, which like fine. You know like I think his like season prediction of like what his line is is gonna be maybe the easiest in baseball because I can tell you exactly what Randall Gritchik is gonna do in Colorado. He's gonna hit 245 with a 280 on base, but also hit 29 like emptyish home runs and share time at right field a DH with Charlie Blackman. Right. And I think that's it's not a game changer. It doesn't make them better than a fourth place team or whatever, but that's fine. But then for the Blue Jays you're totally right. So my friend Chris Black, who's a producer at Sportsnet in in Toronto, he actually just tweeted this out while I was looking it up. So over the last two years, um, you look at who they have, who have played center field. Remember, George Springer's 33, and he only played 40 games in the outfield last year. This is what Chris said. Innings in center field over the last two seasons for Toronto. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, 62, and his best position is DH. Uh, rymel tapia 15 malik smith who, who i didn't even know was in camp uh, 13 randall gritchick 1135 <laughs> and so now getting back to what you had kind of uh, started us off with i don't trust george springer to play 162 games i guess tapia could fake it i don't think that tasker hernandez should ever play there certainly lord is guriel is not an option you is there another center fielder coming or is this just like good luck george Kind of feels that way. I mean, there's
1: not really someone on the market, right? Like, so I guess unless you're going to make another trade for a center fielder, it seems like they're just, this is what they're, this is what they're going with. And I, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a little bit of a weird trade for the Blue Jays, I got to say. Not because I'm like some big like Richick fan. It just feels like it hurts them more on the, you know, As as you kind of noted, it hurts them probably more in their defensive versatility than anything. And also, I mean, Gritschik does have power. So, like, you can put him at the bottom of that lineup and he will hold his own, at least in terms of being like a power threat. So, like, I'm not really sure tapia solves like the left-handed bat thing because it's not like you're like oh you know in a late game situation you're like oh we're sending him up as
0: our pinch hitter like you're not gonna pinch hit tapia for you know no. for the right-handed hitter. no yeah i mean it helps their bench they still need another left-handed power bat i mean anytime like the jays make a move now i always start thinking about like the nefarious uh, purposes like well i'm pretty sure tapia got his vaccine because they're not going to acquire a guy who didn't you know there's always that <laughs> So, I like trades. I like that a trade is happening. There are, We missed a lot of moves since last week. We'll get to that in a minute. I kind of wanted to start off by spring trading is on. Games have happened, and you're not obviously going to put too much into spring trading numbers. Like you may remember last year, Pirates infielder Kevin Newman hit 6.06 in spring and then 2.26 in the regular season. So, I don't worry so much about outcomes and ERAs and OPS or anything like that. But uh, on kind of like a, a health basis or a wow, this guy throws harder now basis you can get some interesting things um, that you can kind of look towards the season and say, okay, good to know. So we pulled out a couple of these. Um, I didn't let Matt go first because Matt is going to get in Luis Perdomo and longtime listeners of this show will be like, oh dear God, not more Luis Perdomo. We'll explain why in a minute. The the one that stood out to me the most of anybody so far this year is Justin Verlander looked great, right? His last game, I kind of forgot this. In my head, it was like, oh, his last game was the World Series in 2019. No, he actually did start an opening day in July of 2020, has not been seen since Tommy John surgery. Uh, He threw 31 pitches on March 18th, 10 of them, 10 of the fastballs were between 95 and 96. He averaged 94.8. That's really what you want from him is health. I'm not worried. He's going to be good. Of course, he's going to be good. You just want to know at his age, after that kind of arm surgery, uh, will the velocity be there? He looked really good. And if you look at the Astros, even though Lance McCullers is out with a flexor tendon issue, they have six Pretty interesting starters, right? Verlander, Luis Garcia, from Valdez, Jose Urquidy, Christian Javier, and Jake Odorizzi. And I'm interested to know what you think about the Astros, Matt, because I feel like every year they lose somebody, right? Like Cole, Morton, Keiko, last year it was Springer, and now it's, this year it's Carlos Correa. And people are so anxious to write them off, I'm still going to pick them to win the West. <laughs> like, the pitching's interesting.
1: Earlier today, I was actually editing a piece that you wrote that will be published this week uh-huh. On, uh-huh. on MLB.com. uh about the kind of the 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 tiers of MLB teams heading into the twenty twenty two season. And I thought you made a really good point. It's that like everyone's sort of like, oh they're losing Korea, another guy. But it's I know it's kind of a cheat, but it's like they're kind of getting Verlander back. You know, so it's like they are adding this guy that we kind of forgot about because he didn't pitch last year and oh they still went to the World Series anyway. So um I can't I don't think that could be understated and like you know, looking at this list of names that you have here, it's a very good rotation. This even includes Lance McCullers. Um so they're a good team. I mean the A's who have been one of their biggest competition among the biggest competition in the AL West are clearly taking a big step back. So it's hard not to continue to pick them as like the favorites to win to win the AO West again.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm gonna cede the floor here to you because um Matt wants to talk about a pitcher who also hasn't pitched in two years with a career 519 ERA uh, who has not been good or maybe ever, um, but in in quite some time. And I feel like you need to give at least like a five-second overview of why we care about Luis Perdomo for those unfortunate listeners who are just joining us. So
1: Luis Perdomo, for as long as this podcast has existed, has been kind of my guy. He used to pitch for the Padres and the reason that he caught my eye back in the early days of Statcast when I would like be like you know you know in my spare time as one does I would be perusing these Statcast leaderboards, and he was always like showing up on leaderboards of like interesting categories in terms of like you know uh, low uh, inducing low launch angle, getting swings and misses on his slider, uh, low spin on his two seam fastball, which like indicates sink, and Running so like he's the
0: of- fastest pitcher too. <laughs> Right. He gets we had four triples in right. a
1: season, so it just always seemed to happen that like something weird happened with Luis Perdomo and he kind of sort of stayed interesting and he had a few like moments with the Padres where he like would have like a string of like two or three starts where he was effective, usually in the 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 mode of a, of like the classic kind of like sinker ball pitcher where he'd get like you know. 20 outs, 17 of them via the ground ball, right? He has never been like a true strikeout pitcher. It's more been the classic like sinker slider guy. And I've always liked that archetype of pitcher. Just I think it's an aesthetically pleasing type of pitcher to watch because when you watch the balls in play, you know, it, it, the game moves. I just think it's a, I, I like that type of pitcher. So anyway, he had Tommy John surgery at the end of 2020. Um, he was let go by the, by the Padres. And the Brewers signed him to a two-year minor league deal, basically one of these like kind of like Garrett Richards style, but like on a much lower level because he has never been good enough to sort of warrant a two-year guaranteed major league deal. Um, so he rehabbed quietly with the Brewers last year, and in fact, because he was an NRI and not in the not on the forty-man roster, he, he he's been in camp for for a month even during the lockout. He was in in Brewers camp, and our own Adam Calvey did a story the other day about how he was kind of battling for a spot in the back end of the. the brewers rotation or on at least in the back of their bullpen and lo and behold he's doing interesting stuff again so far this spring he's pitched in two games three innings pitched he's retired all mind batters he's faced zero strikeouts zero walks six ground ball outs nine pitches total (laughs) no matter what he does he does weird, quirky, interesting statistical things, and he's now pitching for a team that has
0: a really great track record of turning talented pitchers into useful major leaguers. I'm, I'm happy just for you, like as a friend that Luis Perdomo <laughs> is back and potentially could be like a guy, not like a star, certainly, but just like, you know, the eighth best pitcher on a good roster or something that, i don't know i think that would be super cool um i hope he makes the team i hope he makes a start and i hope you fly to milwaukee to see it in person
1: if anyone else in this world besides me has a Luis perdomo jersey i'd like to see, i'd like a you can send me a photo
0: on twitter I'm not sure Luis Perdomo has a Luis Perdomo jersey. <laughs> All right, the the next guy who's been really interesting this spring, and you know, has been for some time before this, is O'Neal Cruz of the Pittsburgh Pirates, the world's most massive shortstop. Giant air quotes around shortstop. I'm not sure how long he'll stay there. He's listed as six foot seven and two hundred and twenty eight, uh, two hundred and twenty pounds. You may remember him from late last year, where he came up to the Pirates just for like the final two games of the season, and had three hits, uh, one of them a home run, and one of them was hit like 118 miles off the bat, which is incredibly rarefied air. You just do not get there. So now in the spring, um, he's five for eight with two home runs, crushed a ball off of off of uh, Zach Thompson of the Rays. And uh, Matt, I see you have a quote here from Zach Thompson that I'm going to read. He said, I definitely felt the vibration of it coming off the bat. I was sitting down and all of a sudden, the shock wave hit me. I was like, oh, something just happened. That was huge. That was probably one of the biggest home runs I've seen in a while. Now that I'm reading that, I'm not actually sure that he hit it off Thompson. Maybe Thompson's, Thompson's his teammate. You, I should have made that
1: clear. Thompson's oh, his okay. teammate.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Um, but you can see, obviously, big praise because you know when you hear shockwave in terms of uh, a ball being hit, that's really impressive.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Pirates are probably not going to be very good. But man, O'Neill Cruz is fun to watch. As you said, he's six foot seven. He's massive. He played two games last year. Two games, as you said. 118 hit a ball 118 miles an hour only eight players in baseball did that last year and it's like the guys you would expect john carlos stanton Shohei Otani, aaron judge peter Ming, manny, manny machado um also Frankie cordero and chris kittens but like that's a club you want to be in um he also st- i think he struck out four times in the two games he played last year so like there's there's gonna be a lot going on with him but he's just he's interesting and At least the Pirates have some interesting guys. Cabrion Hayes are going to have for a full season, and they have some interesting pitchers too. Wow,
0: that's that's a great segue, by the way. Let's talk about Mitch Keller, who was – there's really no other way around it. He was just really bad last season, right? He got sent down in the middle of the year. He has a career 602 ERA. He had a 617 ERA last year. There's no way to sugarcoat any of that. And I remember, both from the data and just from watching him last year, his fastball was just straight, straight as an arrow, you know, no movement, no interesting cut, no interesting rise, nothing. Well, I remember uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe he had this kind of like viral moment where he was training uh, at one of the velocity farms. I don't think it was actually driveline, but it's something similar to driveline, but I honestly don't remember. And, uh, you know, they show him throwing a bullpen session and he's hitting like 99, he topped 100. Everybody's like, Pardon? Mitch Keller does what? This is a guy who averaged 93 last year. And okay, that's cool. You do that, you know, in a bullpen on a no hitter, like not on a field. That's fine. What happens when you go do it in a ball game? Well, Mitch Keller is pitching today, right now, as we are speaking. And as of at least a couple minutes ago, Mitch Keller has topped out at 99.8 miles an hour. Good Lord. Now, it's a spring training game. It's probably not a game where he expects he's going to have to go deep. Maybe you can let it all hang out. But still, to even get there off of being 93-8 last year, and from what I can tell and from what people have said, there's a little bit more movement to it, that is potentially a really big deal. As you said, You know, Mitch Keller and O'Neal Cruz and Cabrian Hayes and Brian Reynolds are not going to make the Pirates very good this year. But for a team that like really needs some internal improvement and some good news, like Mitch Keller being a dude would be a, a massive help for them.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like as you said, the velocity, I don't say like, oh, he's going to be like sitting 99 this year. But like, even if he's sitting 95, 96, that's a huge Huge. increase from last year and should make him a lot more effective.
0: All right. The last guy I want to talk about is kind of the exact same story. Uh, Jesus Luzardo touched 99. He threw three perfect innings on Tuesday against St. Louis. You may remember Jesus Luzardo from being involved in a couple of really interesting trades. He was a Washington minor leaguer in 2017. When he got traded to Oakland with Blake Trinan in the deal that sent Sean Doolittle and Ryan Madsen to Washington, that was a big deal. And then last year he got traded from Oakland to Miami for Starling Marte. So a couple of pretty interesting deals. I remember thinking at the time that one was kind of odd because everybody knew the Marlins needed offense, not arms. And yet when they traded their big trade piece in Marte, they got Jesus Lazardo, who was, I guess, like the definition of a post-type prospect post post type maybe at this point because it just has not gone well for him Uh, 536 career era he was the guy you might remember who broke his hand last year because he was playing video games and got upset um but he's only 24 years old and you know if you look at his past four seam velocities better than mitch Keller's were uh 96 8 in 2019 95 the last couple years did hit 99 a couple of times last year so it's not like we've never seen this before but i think the marlins have developed a reputation as being the kind of place where they know how to grow young pitching. And as I said, he's still pretty young. So this could be really interesting. I mean, he doesn't really have to be more than their fifth starter this year, but they might need him because Sixto Sanchez is just not healthy and does not seem like he's going to be pitching in the major leagues anytime soon. But if you can get Luzardo to be anywhere near that hype prospect he was as your fifth starter, that's really good. And while I still don't think their offense is enough, Avisel Garcia and Jorge Soler and Joey Wendell will add some like Competence, and I, I know that sounds like a dig, but it's not. Like that's that's an improvement over what they had. Uh, I think I'm not in on the Marlins, but I feel better about them. Maybe that's the right way to say it.
1: There's a, there's a piece on MLB.com today by uh, by our own Thomas Harrigan, who kind of looked at every team's projected win total by Fangraphs and compared it to their 2021 win total. And the team that is projected to see their biggest increase in just raw win total. At this moment is the Marlins. They were 60 states, 167 games last year. Right now, they're projected to win 82. And so I think you kind of hit the nail on the head that like that pitching is really good. And while they didn't end up, you know, there was like the rumors that, oh, they wanted Castellanos. And that's why Derek Jeter left because he wanted Castellanos. He wanted to make the splash. And, the, you know, and then it was like, you know, some palace intrigue about whether or not they were going to kind of sign that kind of free agent. They did improve, like Garcia and Jorge Soler improved their team. They're not the best guys that were available, but they are better than what they had.
0: Yes, I think that's absolutely right. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and uh, catch up on some of the other interesting moves that have happened over the last week.
1: Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation.
0: We are back on the MOB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. Last week was a, a kind of a rush of a podcast for us because so much had happened and we almost had trouble getting through it all. And it's been a little bit slower uh, in the days since, but obviously there have been some pretty big things. Hey, did you know Carlos Correa is on the Twins now? Really? The, actually the Twins, which uh, is really cool and interesting and more than a little shocking. I think for me, the most entertaining part of this has been fans of every single other team saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Three years that the twins got him on a three year deal, which is probably going to be a one year deal unless everything goes wrong. Uh, he signed for three years, 105, I think, 0.3 million with opt outs after every single year. You know, it's the Scott Boris special here. So, what's probably going to happen is he'll play for one year and 35 million, and then he will play very well and he'll go back out in the market next year. And if he doesn't, well, then he's got a couple of nice. $35 million a year cushions to fall back on. Like I know this seems disappointing and it's definitely not the massive deal he wanted and we thought he was going to get, but if things don't go your way and you still make $35 million a year, it, it, it's worked out for you. I think it's going to be fine. What I'm more interested in is what do you make of the twins, right? I picked them to win the division last year. Clearly that did not go so well. Everything that could possibly have gone wrong went wrong and mostly in their pitching, you know, and now, you know, Kenta Maeda is out for most of the year. Dobnek's hurt. So they've added Dylan Bundy, who's like, okay. They've added Sonny Gray, who is, can be pretty good. I like um, I like Joe Ryan a lot. You know, Bailey Ober is pretty decent. They still feel short a pitcher. And, you know, they made the trade for the Yankees. Now Donaldson's gone. Garver went to Texas. Gary Sanchez and uh, Gio Urshela are there. They've, they've made a lot of changes and they're better. I just, I don't know that they're good enough. That's, I mean, the, the pitching is you look at their depth chart and say, like, oh, that
1: lineup's interesting. They, they've got, you know, they've got, they've got some guys, even their bullpen, you could see, you know, it's, I mean, the Twins bullpen over the years has kind of been, it's, it was gone from being like terrible to being dominant to kind of being terrible again, but you could at least look at the guys and be like, okay, I can, I can see it. The rotation, you really got to squint. And I think there's this expectation that, um, oh, they're going to trade, they're going to be in for of the ace pitcher, talking about Sean and Frankie Montes. Everyone, everyone expects them to be traded and even, but then now in yesterday, John Heyman was reporting, Hey, it's looks like the A's might hold on to these guys after all, and maybe go into the season with them and see how it goes. So here's the interesting thing to me, at least as it pertains to Sean Manea is, so he's a free agent after this year, right? And you know, the, the mindset has always been, okay, we'll go up to the deadline. And if we have him at the deadline and we don't get what we want, we can say, okay, we'll just wait. We can always give him a qualifying offer at the end of the year. Um, and will at least get draft pick comp- compensation if he signs elsewhere, right? So it's like we can still get something. This is what we saw last year at Trevor Story, right? Where like the Rockies were like, we don't like the offers that we're getting. We don't think we think we can do better with that, you know, supplemental draft pick plus like the the signing bonus money that comes with it, right? So they used to as, as along with that, there was an incentive for teams or for suitors of some of these guys to trade for them before the season began because. If a player was traded within the season, he couldn't get a qualifying offer. But if he was traded before the season, if you had him the full year, you could give him a qualifying offer, right? Now we have this whole thing going on with the CBA, where if a, a, a they're, they're, the union and the league made an agreement that by July twenty fifth, not coincidentally six days before the trade deadline, they have to decide if there's if they're going to be able to settle on an international draft. For 2020, I guess, for, for going forward. Is that long, I forgot if it was going to start next year or the year after, but they have to agree on the framework for an international draft. If they do, free agent compensation is going to go away, right? If they don't, free agent compensation will, st- will stay and you can still do the whole qualifying offer thing. So I think that's really interesting as it re- applies to Manea because like from the A's perspective, if, they, if they, they do come to an agreement on the international draft and uh, the qualifying offering system goes away, which I think people kind of assume is going to happen, then, like, well, it doesn't matter when you trade him because, like, there's not going to be a qualifying offer anyway. So you might as well just wait. I mean, yes, there's always a chance you get, you get hurt, but, like, a good starting pitcher at the deadline in a world where no qualifying offer exists and no one can sort of use that as leverage anyway – well you might, maybe you're better off just waiting and seeing what you can get for him and see if you can sort of like auction them off the highest bidder. In that scenario, then you know for sure someone like Monea is gonna get traded. Just like last year, if no qualifying offer existed, Trevor Story definitely would have gotten
0: traded. Does that all make sense? Uh, it does, except for that very, very last part about Trevor's story, because I'm not—I'm not sure that's how that decision was actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you get my point, though, right? It, 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 don't you, I don't think I actually haven't seen this talked about much, but this actually will will very much um, change the trade deadline. I think that like these players who are potential qualifying offer players are now, if it's a team, a quote unquote rebuilding team, are now essentially guaranteed to get traded.
0: I. I- I think that that's really interesting and while i may be a little less optimistic than you are that the international draft agreement will happen just because you know taking the under on agreements happening is generally a safe place to go the fact that um it's it's a week before the trade deadline as you mentioned less than a week that's really interesting because you're right that that adds a whole other dimension to what's going to be an interesting week and you know with the expanded playoffs it might be a slower trade deadline than usual if more teams are are in and fewer teams are selling um i thought it was really interesting too just back to the twins real quick uh, Do Young Park, who is our Twins beat reporter, said that since Saturday, since the Korean news came out, the Twins say they have sold more than 100,000 single game tickets, group tickets, and Twins passes since Saturday, which is really cool. Like Twins fans are clearly extremely excited about this. And isn't that half the point? Right? Like, sign stars and get fans excited? To- totally. And like, you know, you younger listeners may
1: not remember this, but there was a time when the Twins had the best home field advantage in baseball. Now granted that was because they had a dome, but yeah. the place like they pack it, it would rock. I went to a playoff game the first year target field. Uh, I think it was 2010 against the Yankees and it was loud. Like it is a fan base that will get behind the Twins. It's cool. Like guess that's sort of the whole idea. As you said, like you sign the big free agent, get fans excited. They're, they're I mean, Buxton and Correa, like, that's pretty cool. The number one and number two picks in the same year, now on the same team, both really exciting. Both, you would not be surprised if they were like MVP uh, contenders. So like, it's an interesting team. And um, I, I'm, I'm excited. Like the, it, it also showed, I thought that move was like one of the first moves that showed how the expanded playoffs was kind of changing team behavior. Um, where it kind of made them a little more likely to go for it. Cause that, that move alone, I think actually really changes the, the playoff odds in the AL and kind of a, Maybe not, you know, like significant way, but like it's a notable thing because it, it it sort of it hedges in it, it 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 chips away at the White Sox odds of winning the AL Central, and it certainly chips away at um, the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Angels and the Mariners and their uh, wild card odds.
0: For the first time in twenty years, the Twins have beaten the Yankees by signing <laughs> Carlos Correa, and you know, especially with the trade that the two teams make, like it looks like kind of a nice. You know, sleight of hand they pulled off here. All right, you mentioned the Red Sox, and I thought this was interesting because they signed Trevor Story. And as we were just talking about what Correa meant to the Twins, you accurately, you know, described the Twins as being a team that's probably going to hit pretty well. I'm not so sure about the pitching staff, and that's kind of the Red Sox, except (laughs) that the Twins have good defense, and I don't know that the Red Sox will. So Trevor Story goes to the Red Sox. Uh, He's going to play second base, at least for now. Because Xander Bogarts has an opt out after the year and he is expected to exercise that. So then, if he leaves, Story is, I would say, a better defensive shortstop than uh, Xander Bogarts is, right? Um, again, as I said earlier about Tapia, I, I do not have it in me to explain Coors Fields splits again. He's going to be fine. He will not be as good as his home field numbers in Coors. He will not be as poor as his road numbers as a Rocky. This is like literally how it works. He's going to pound the green monster in left field. Like it's going to be. Fine, and when you look at the Red Sox infield, so now you have Devers at third, Bogarts at short, Story at second. That's amazingly good. And if if Bobby Dahlbeck can just like make enough contact to get to his power, um, this could potentially be the best infield in baseball. I mean, I'm kind of hedging as I'm saying that now because I'm thinking about the Braves and the Dodgers, and so maybe maybe you need more than Dahlbeck. But yeah, man, this is a really good infield. And you know, I don't love the outfield as much, but they are going to pound the ball. And I think that's going to help paper over what's like a really questionable pitching staff that Chris Sale's heard again, which he always is. I like things about Nick Pavetta. I don't like him as my number two starter. And then they have like an endless amount of sometimes healthy veteran dudes who like, you know, Michael Waka. Oh yeah. James Paxton, Uh, Rich Hill again, if you can get, you know, 60 to 80 healthy innings from them at various points of the year, I guess, I guess that's a win. I, it, their pitching does not fill me with confidence or joy. No, it's, it's, it's actually, it, it, it's, as you noted, it's it's a very similar
1: kind of general setup to the twins, at least in terms of, you know, the, the, the imbalance in the, in their roster. The, I look at the Red Sox lineup and I'm like, man, that is a, that is a fun lineup. Um, Trevor Story is going to, much like he hit aesthetically pleasing home runs in course field, he's going to do the same over the green monster. This team is going to score a lot of runs I don't know what we can expect from Chris Sale at this point, and that's really kind of the problem, right? Like if you have anything close to a healthy Chris Sale, I'd feel like they could contend for the division without that. Um, I guess they did it last year without him, so what do I know? Or oh, without him most of the year, but like it just feels like it's it's gonna be a slog, but that that you're it's a team you don't wanna pitch to.
0: Speaking of uh, teams that will hit a bunch of home runs and play a lot of (laughs) five-hour games to another team that will hit a bunch of home runs and play a lot of five-hour games, the Philadelphia Phillies, who had already signed Kyle Schwarber, then went out and added Nicholas Castellanos. uh, I I feel badly that the first thing you have to think of is, oh, dear God, their defense, right? (laughs) because it was already bad last year. Schwarber's not going to help much. Castellanos is definitely not going to help much. Let's table that for a minute. Their lineup is going to have those two guys, Bryce Harper, who's amazing. Taylor Ramuda, is very, very good. Reese Hoskins, who I think is somehow underrated at this point. And then, you know, Gene Segura is a perfectly good middle infielder. You kind of hope Alec Baum will find something. Maybe the less said about center field and shortstop, the better. Um, but the lineup is going to be good, right? And I, I kind of like their rotation. If Wheeler is healthy, you know, Nola is very good. I would. I can't wait to see like what Ranger Suarez is going to do this year because he was quietly like amazing last year and i want to see if there's a a repeat for that you know kyle gibson's a perfectly cromulent veteran pitcher and they have also added like a ton of oh yeah those guys in the bullpen like oh yeah Jerry's familiar is there Corey Corey court i remember brad hand um the lineup's gonna be very good one of if not the best in the national league maybe not as good as the dodgers are they gonna catch literally a baseball that's my question
1: yeah, I mean the combination of the defense and that bullpen, like they still seem to be running out. Like they, I think like the Phillies have basically run out the, a different version of the same bullpen for like eight years now, where it's guys who are like, "Oh, this guy seems interesting," but also just like has total meltdown potential at any given game. Just like they never seem to have anyone who's that reliable. I mean, when you catch Jose Alvarado on the right day, you're kind of like, "How does anyone ever hit this guy ever?" And then the next day, you know, he walks six straight hitters. So I mean it still feels like they have way too many of those guys, some of whom are holdovers from, like, the previous, you know, (laughs) the previous few years. So the combination of the shaky bullpen and shaky defense just seems like it's going to lend itself to some painful losses. But, yes, that lineup, the top of that lineup especially, um, it's just a combination of not just – it's just, like, guys who take good at-bats and work counts and can hit for power and kind of do, you know, just well-rounded hitters. Um, I mean, one through through five. I mean, Hoskins, I think he – he's had a weird career because he had that one great rookie year and then has kind of been a little erratic. And then last year he was terrible to start the year, but came on really strong. So I think like it's always been hard to get a great read on him, but um, he's definitely, he's definitely a threat, but it it does drop off a little bit after that. So I probably put them a peg below um, the, uh, the, the Braves and the Mets in that division, but like they're going to be, they're going to be a tough team.
0: I'm going to make a nerd prediction about Aaron Nola. And that is that, he is going to have like a 480 ERA uh, because it won't be about errors behind him. It would just be about, you know, balls not, plays not made. But all the underlying metrics will say he should have had like a 320 ERA and that's going to make all the WARs numbers tell him something different. You know, it's going to be like a whole thing. And that's kind of been true in the past. And now it's just like, they're exacerbating. <laughs> so it's going to be a whole thing. All right, uh, one more move. Uh, Kenley Jansen signed with the Braves. The Braves have a really like good and interesting bullpen. And they also signed... Uh, Colin McHugh, and I think I really like what they're trying to do here because they rode that bullpen, the quote unquote night shift, to a World Series title last year. But I think you've also got to remember they rode those guys really hard in October. You know, like it would not be surprising at all to see I don't know Will Smith or, or AJ Minter, Tyler Matzek, uh, maybe feel the effects of that this year. So that's all well and good. The surprising part of it was that Kenley Jansen only got a one year deal. And uh, my initial reaction, which I think maybe now is not correct, was what is it that everybody saw about Kenley Jensen like that worried them? You know, because he'd been seemingly on a decline for a couple of years. and then last year, got his velocity back, started throwing other pitches aside from just the cutter, and he was like really quite very good. And so when I saw he only got a one year deal, I was a little bit like, oh well, the, the the Dodgers wouldn't even top that. you know, what do they see? They know him better than anybody. And uh, through some reporting, it seems what happened was he did have, It was two things. He did have multi-year deals from other places, but he had wanted to play in Atlanta. You know, that is perfectly fine. The Dodgers did want to bring him back, but they wanted to wait until they made some other moves yet to, you know, shift around salary. And eventually he didn't want to wait anymore. So he just went there. So my main takeaway from this is it's good move for the Braves. And I cannot wait until the NLCS, when you get to the ninth inning, it's like game six, (laughs) Kenley Jansen versus Freddie Freeman in the wrong uniforms is going to be very interesting to watch.
1: Um your point about the Braves bullpen is a really good one because it might is it the deepest in the league? Like I'm looking at their 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 depth chart and it's like you got to go a few names down before you get to like AJ Minter and he's like one of he's 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 a good reliever, you know, and I think yeah. the the I mean McHugh's – you know, thirty-five years old. So, like, I, I could see why you might be like, eh, not sure about that. But he's been very effective um, for the last few years, and like slots in nicely with Will Smith and Matzik, who's like become kind of a, you know, a fairly dominant reliever in his own right. So, um, when it, it's it really stands in contrast to the teams that we were talking about earlier earlier in the podcast. I'm like, oh wow, that Braves bullpen's very good, and we know their starting rotation is pretty good, especially at the top, even accounting for the fact that who knows what's going to happen, whatever's going to happen with Mike Soroka, but it's, it's a very, it's a very well-rounded team.
0: Yeah. The other thing to remember about the bullpen is, so the big names there are, you know, Jansen, Smith, Matzik, McHugh, Luke Jackson, AJ Minter, right? That the guys who were the heart of last year's bullpen, plus the new guys. Um, two other names I want to remind people of Spencer Strider, who is not a name people know. he's been touching triple digits so far this spring. And I had totally forgotten this until I looked it up. They signed Kirby Yates. Who is recovering from Tommy John surgery won't be ready, uh, you know, in the early part of the season. But for a while, Kirby Yates was really, really, like really good, one of the best relievers in baseball. And if he can come back, you know, in the late part of the season and pick up some of these guys and look anything like he did, this bullpen could be fantastic. And I know, I know, there is so much angst around the Braves right now because of what Freeman meant to them. And now he's gone, and you know maybe the way it went down, you know, left a, a sour taste in your mouths. Although you got Matt Olson, who's very good, but I feel like uh, Alex Anthopoulos is quietly one of the best GMs in baseball. I mean, they did win the World Series last year. I feel like I feel like that earns you a little something, right? And um, they're going to get underrated because we always underrate the Braves. But one of these years, I think we'll learn not to do that. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come back. We're going to talk about the Shohei Otani rule and some other changes for 2022. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petrello and Matt Myers. Uh, we did want to touch on some of the rule changes that are coming or are pending. And it's interesting that even though CBA was agreed to a couple of weeks ago, changes are still happening, right? We're still hearing that they the two sides are negotiating and agreeing upon things that are going to happen this year. The most interesting one of those is what I'm calling the Shohei Otani rule. It's not officially about him, but he's the only one that it's going to affect. So yes, it is about him. Check this out. In the past, if he was uh, you know, the starting pitcher and he was in the lineup, right, so he would hit and pitch and the team would forego the DH, right? It's like National League Baseball, essentially. So uh, that's not the same thing anymore because everybody has the DH. The new rule, if he's, or any starting pitcher, but let's say it's him, in the lineup and he's hitting, when he leaves as a pitcher, he can remain as the DH. This was uh, put into place for the All-Star game last year, and I think it's generally a good thing. Like anytime you can get more Shohei Otani, that is a good thing. I can't imagine how like Jerry Depoto feels about this, <laughs> or the other, you know, the other American League teams. Um, I went into the numbers on this; like, it probably won't matter that much, right? But like, how many more plate appearances could he have gotten last year? So I, I looked at this. He started one hundred and twenty-six games as a designated hitter. Uh, over those starts, he got four point, let's say five, four point five plate appearances per start. As a pitcher, 16 times he started as a pitcher and, and left and did not do anything else. He got 3.6 plate appearances a start. Remember, one of those games he started here in New York and the Yankees torched him and he got knocked out in the first inning. And then four times he started as a pitcher and made those weird trips to right field just so he could get that one more plate appearance. Very similar, 3.7 plate appearances a start, right? So if you assume you take that 4.5 plate appearances per start that he got as a DH and you just apply that to the pitching, it's about... 20 or so extra plate appearances right it'd be about last year he had I think like 630 as a starter I'm not counting pinch hitting here and this year he might get 650 that's not going to change like the World Series odds but it's also 20 more plate appearances of Shohei Otani I'll take that and um, I like it I I think this is a good rule if you are not a team in the West (sighs) And
1: it also, I mean, it's it's really it's the 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 biggest winners here are probably the like the paying customers who want to go watch an Otani game and see him pitch and they're like oh if you know I think there there were some people in our office who actually I know who who like like oh Otani's pitching in the Bronx we're gonna go and they went and he was like out of the game in like the first yep. inning it's like oh man that's a bummer right like this is the the coolest most interesting player in baseball like we want people to see him as much as possible. And now that the DH is in both leagues and it's obviously like the Disney hitter has been like totally divorced from, from, from pitching. Like there's no reason for this to exist. And maybe like there will be other two way, I'm not expecting more Otanis, but like there might be other two way players down the road. And now it's like all cleared up.
0: Yeah. I, I remember that game here in New York and I can't remember if it was the day before or the day, the day after, but it was, you know, the, the very next or very previous game that I went to. And I remember thinking, oh, I miss Otani pitching by one day, bomber, except when I went, he hit two home runs. And the day he pitched, it was raining, I think, and he got torched. I I have an obscure rule keeping question for you. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I was thinking about this this morning. In this kind of game, let's say he pitches, right? And he hits. And then at a certain point in the game, he will stop pitching, but continue hitting. In the box score, is he going to have been the DH for the entire game? Or is he a pitcher for his first plate appearances and then a DH? Because everybody's going to want to talk about who's the last pitcher to home run, right? Is is that going to be him or not? I, I have no idea. Do you know? Well, I know currently that the last pitcher to
1: hit a home run was Logan Logan Webb on like yes. the second last day or second last day of the season. So that's the trivia. I will keep that I will probably keep that in the recesses of my brain forever. Um I don't know. And I will say, well, as I said, the winners in this were the paying customers. The losers in this are probably the like uh
0: programmers and web developers at places like LV.com <laughs> and baseball <laughs> reference <laughs> who have to figure out <laughs> how to make this work. Oh, well said. That is that is Absolutely 100% true. All right, another rule change. um, There will be expanded rosters for the first month in, in April. Everybody can have 28 roster spots with no limit on pitchers. And starting, again, to be clear, this
1: is this is still pending approval, but it seems like it will probably yes, happen.
0: Yes. It only needs a uh, majority of owners who are supposed to vote next week, and it's very much expected it will happen. Uh, 28 spots in April. It will go back to 26 on May the 2nd. No more than 13 pitchers uh, at that point, which was supposed to be a rule, I think, pre-pandemic, and it just never happened. Uh, this seems like perfectly fine, and I, I can't imagine anyone would complain about that with the shortened spring training. Probably want to have a couple of arms as pitchers ramp up. Uh, it, it is hard for me to think of an opinion on this that is not like cool, you know, like fine. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, it's going to lead to some like r- reliever fests, which, which yeah. is like kind of annoying. I mean, when I think of extra rosters, what I love with them, extra rosters is like more pinch runners and like guys with platoons, like good, you know, pinch hitting options to kind of make the end of games more interesting in that regard. But given the short and spring training, it's, it's, it makes sense, you know in 1990 um after the lockout this happened when there was a, the season started late they expanded the rosters i don't know if they did in 1995 so i'm not i don't want to speak to that i'm not sure but like it, it it makes sense
0: um another rule change that um came out recently they will they will continue the runner on second base in extra innings i know this is the kind of thing that really inflames emotions like some people deeply despise it i'm okay with it we've talked about this a bunch but here is my hot take on it we cannot call it the ghost runner. I hate that. I when I was a kid, I imagine that you did this too, Matt, and lots of our listeners. You know, it was very rare, unless you were playing like your official Little League game, that you would have 18 kids who were gonna play baseball with you. You know, you'd play like wiffle ball two on two or three on three or whatever. And then you'd get on base and you'd have to go back and hit and you'd say, okay, well, my ghost runner is on first base. You can't see him, but I got the hit. So he's there. You know, you can't tag him. He can only advance if I advance behind him. A ghost runner is not something you can see. This is a real human person with agency <laughs> on second base. So we can call him whatever you want. I know some people like the zombie runner. Um, there's a bunch of different names. I'm going to put my foot down. It is not a ghost. It is a real person. We need a better name. And is, also it's that, fine.
1: That is a good hot <laughs> take. Um I totally agree with you. This is exactly what I think of when I think of Ghost Runners. It's exactly how you described it. So um, <laughs> clearly we're of the same generation. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I think that, you know, I've sort of said this before in this podcast. I, I like it because it makes it less likely. The long games, and I saw Craig Council say this. Um, he made a comment about this where basically it's like, listen, one of the that stinks about long games is often you have relievers who, like, pitch great, and then they get sent down because, like, oh, we need to make a rust more we need a fresh arm. It's like you get penalized for for – for pitching well which stinks and i also like it I think, as i said i think when i'm in the stands for a game and like if i'm on a tuesday night game and it goes extra innings without the automatic runner i'm like oh am i gonna stay or should i go home now with the automatic runner i'm way more likely to stay because like you know what, it's probably only, it's probably gonna be done after 10 maybe 11 innings so yeah, it's was, like uh, that's
0: sorry, why that, that's, it, that's
1: why that's why i, that's why I like it
0: yeah, I was I was thinking about this. The, the people who deeply despise it, I don't think they're wrong. Like I think it's a perfectly reasonable opinion to have to say that I, I don't like this, you know, and that's fine. But I was trying to think about who who is it for, in the sense of like the owners don't seem to want it. Fine. The players don't seem to. Uh, I'm just when I say don't seem to want it, don't seem to want like endless X trading games, right? So the owners are in favor of this rule. what Whatever. The players are in favor of this rule. A lot of managers are. Aaron Boone told Brian Hoke that he likes the rule because he thinks it helps player safety. And avoids the needs to you know call up pitchers and demote pitchers after you know eighteen inning games or whatever. Uh, if you're at the game, I think like you said, most people aren't going to stay at the ballpark for six hours. If you're working at the game, you definitely don't want that to happen. So who who are these long games for? I mean, they were for me when I was 23, <laughs> and coming home at one o'clock in the morning to see that the Mets game was on in the seventeenth inning. You know what I mean? Like, and I get that. Like, there is something magical in that. There are some moments in that I I remember. 30 years later, the Dodgers playing a 22 inning game, you know, like it's cool. And I do think it's a shame that that's going to be lost. um, But I I don't know that especially this season, and I should say this rule would potentially only be in place for this season unless it's renewed. It's not the length of the CBA. The way that they are kind of uh, making the schedule work to get in a full 162 is to take away some off days and to have more doubleheaders. And I think that's a really tough thing to say. Okay, well, game one of the doubleheader, you just played seventeen, and you don't have a day off for three weeks. Get back out there, you know. So, hey, it might just be for this year. I, I don't know about the future. And, I, I don't and, mind it. And speaking of doubleheaders,
1: the seven inning doubleheaders are, are are no longer. So actually, that's that's, happy about yeah. that's there's, that's another factor in that regard. So at least like the, the, the purists get their, get their win on that one.
0: Yeah, I, I hated the seven inning doubleheaders. I'm I'm happy that those are gone. All right, the last thing we want to talk about, and I, I think you might actually have. Better information on this than than I do. Um, pitch pitchcom. So it's this an uh, electronic way for catchers to signal signs to pitchers, right? And Matt will get into the specifics of it. But basically, the whole idea is one of the things that have really slowed games down a lot, especially big games, especially in big spots, is that if you have a runner on second base you know, he can see the signs that the catcher is flashing and he can signal that to the batter. And we should be very clear. That's not illegal. That is not what the Astros did. This is the kind of thing that's been happening on field for a billion years. You can totally do that. If you get your signs uh, stolen, that is, that is on you. It's not electronic surveillance or anything, but what would happen is you'd have the catcher and the pitcher going through like 26 sets of signs, trying to make sure that the second guy on second would not steal your signs. And it really just dragged everything to, uh, grinding halt so now we've got this electronic device that they are testing and um the early reviews have been fantastic like like adam Berry, our Rays reporter talked to mike zanino about it and zanino was like this is great i love it let's <laughs> let's do it so matt explain how does this thing work
1: yeah i think it was used it was tested in the atlantic league last year and this spring training we've seen a few teams experimenting with it in games and honestly like it's ways, the best advertisement for it is the fact that it's been happening in games and no one notices like it ha- the Rays were the first team to try it over the weekend and they did in a game. The announcers didn't comment on it because the announcers didn't even, didn't realize that anything was different. But the players involved were like, "Yeah, it really sped things up." But even the umpire commented to uh, Zunino about it. It Was like, "Oh wow, that, like when you guys stopped doing it, I noticed that like the game got slower." So basically, it's like a it's like a wristband with buttons on it, and you you basically the catcher can hit a button, and the the pitcher puts a little like receiver under their cap where they can hear they basically hear what's being asked for, you know, like, you know, curveball, or like you can like hit like slider low or slider down and in slider away that there's like, there's like, like different keys you can hit. And the, the, um the pitcher will hear it and the catcher will hear it. And up to, I think two or three infielders can also wear, it. I think up to five people, at least now, I mean, that, it's not like fully vetted for regular season use yet, but I think infielders can wear it as well. So they also hear what's being called so they can adjust their defense uh, accordingly, or you know, slightly adjust their position, positioning, accordingly, and more and more, you know, the Mets tried it. Buckshaw Walter was, was effusive. The Royals tried it. Zach Grenke, Zach Grenke, used it yesterday. He said, "I tried it. And I liked it a lot. We're just going to practice some more. I think I'm going to use it when the season comes. I think he could speed up the game if used properly." Like Zach Grenke, man, like he's yeah. <laughs> to get him to be like speak for like out positively about something like that. It's pretty cool. So uh, I've been. It's been cool. It's been interesting to see. Um, the way players have responded well to it and pace of, it's something that could legitimately help pace of play and I think that would be a great thing.
0: I like that it's uh visually seamless, right? Like if you're in the stands you won't notice the difference because I, I remember there was one potential idea that was floated a couple years ago where instead of the pitcher having the headset on there was going to be like this little very little like light system buried in the ground in front of the mound and it would like flash the lights that only he could see. I didn't really love that idea very much. But this makes a lot of sense because nobody can see it. And while I know a lot of, um, let's say, old school fans will be offended, my my reaction to that is: How many years now, decades, are we into quarterbacks having a receiver in their ear in their helmet, right? And I think defensive players now too—the green dot—like this has happened in football forever, and it did not break football. And the the question I have for you is: This is just a spring training test, right? Like this is not like the new normal, or, or where, what is the situation with that? Yeah, that's, that's, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think, as I said, I don't think it's like
1: vetted for the regular season yet, but I think there's a chance that it could happen this year where someone is given the option of using it. And I also know that like, for example, I think the Rockies tried yesterday and they, they tried it, but they only used it when runners were on base. So it's possible that when it starts, maybe some teams only use it when a runners on base, but I got to say if it works and you can get a rhythm with it, I don't see why you wouldn't want to just make it your default, but I guess we'll kind of cross that bridge. But right now, um, early returns are good. And it's something that could be, uh, I think it could could improve the, the product on the field.
0: Uh, was uh, That's really interesting. I'm excited to see where that goes next. That's going to do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We will see you next week.